No, I say morning first. But you can go ahead if you want. Morning. Morning, church. There's a lot more people than when we started at 9, so I'm glad you're here. It, uh, it's a little crisp out there today. Good western Oklahoma weather. I grew up golfing in this weather, so this is good weather right here. So we're glad you're here today. Let me uh, just clarify. Two out of three ain't bad. The PowerPoint announcement was right. The front of the bulletin is right. If you were to read the bulletin, you'd notice that uh, on the back there is a, uh, there's some wrong information. So let me clarify. So don't look at the bulletin. Look at me. We are having class today. The meal is after class. So the meal is not immediately after worship. The meal is after class. So I just want to clarify that. Two out of three ain't bad. Now three out of four is looking real good. A lot better than my NCAA bracket. So I hope you can stay. The meal is after class, and then the egg hunt will be after that. We're just going to turn the kids loose out on the land. That's wrong in the bulletin, too, because we made a change. It's too cold to have the kids out there. We're going to let them hunt eggs in the building. Is that not great or what? That's for real. I'm not kidding. It's going to be a building hunt. So it's, yeah, that's going to be fun. So we have a family that wants to place membership with us. Are the Olivas here today? Do I see them anywhere? Michael and Don Olivas, are y'all here? Well, then I'll announce it next week. We'll do that. How many of y'all were able to be here last Sunday night for the acapella concert? Wow, was that awesome? I mean, we were pushing fire code limit in this building. We had 708. Well, they only counted 781 because the fire code says 780. We almost had to ask one person to leave. <laughs> so we were pushing 800, and it was, wow, it was awesome. So if you like Sunday nights and you like concerts, mark your calendar for August 16th. We're having the Okie Dokie Brothers here, and you're thinking, what? what? Is that an Oklahoma reference? Do, do they live in Oklahoma? Oh, man, they don't live in Oklahoma. The Okie Dokie Brothers, who recently won a Grammy, uh, we've booked them, and they, were, they will be here on August 16th. So you, uh, that's not a Sunday night, is it? Friday night. Sunday night, Friday night, night. So we want you to come. Just trying to warm you all up a little bit because it's so cold outside. Not working. What? Are you going to talk my whole sermon? No? Okay. <laughs> We are in 1 John. We're spending some time in 1 John, and we're calling the series Blessed Assurance because John writes, he wants us to know that we're saved. He wants us to know that we can have an assurance of our salvation. Christians are called to live confident lives, and so we're learning how to do that by spending some time in 1 John. And so last week we talked about false claims. If you claim to know God... You'll follow his commands, and if you claim to know God, you will love your brother. Those are things that we should do. The passage this week, he's going to tell us something we shouldn't do. All right? After telling us what we should do, we should love our brothers, he's going to tell us what we shouldn't do. 
We shouldn't love the world. So let's read in 1 John 2. We'll pick up in verse 12. 1 John 2 and verse 12. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you've known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I like First John. First John's a very simple letter. And it's easy to read. And so as you've seen six times in these few verses, he reminds us of why he's writing. He says, I write to you because, I write to you because. I write to you because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you because you've known him who's from the beginning. I write to you because you've overcome the evil one. You've known the father. You've known him who's from the beginning. You're strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. He tells us why he's writing because he wants us to know some things. There are certain things that are foundational in being a Christian. There are certain facts that we need to know. There are certain assumptions that come with being a Christian. And so the first several verses here, he tells us, I write to you because here's what I want you to know. So the first thing he says is, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. A Christian is not someone who is seeking forgiveness. A Christian is not someone who is hoping for forgiveness. A Christian is not someone who is uncertain about forgiveness. John says a Christian knows that his sins have been forgiven. And he says that's why I'm writing. That's a basic foundation. And if we don't ground ourselves in our basic foundation, your sins are forgiven, then John says Satan's going to rob us of our assurance. And we're not going to know if we're forgiven. I mean, think about it. Why do you struggle in knowing if you're going to heaven? Well, I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. So John says, I write to you because I want you to know your sins are forgiven. We need to be reminded of that. Christians know that their sins are forgiven. How do we know our sins are forgiven? Well, he tells us on account of his name, on account of Jesus. We have forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus did at the cross, because of the blood that he shed at the cross, because he bore our sin penalty and our punishment at the cross. And we have our sins forgiven because we trust in what Jesus did. And as we saw in chapter 1, God says if we confess our sins, He will forgive us. So you need to know that your sins are forgiven. If you don't know your sins are forgiven and you're living with doubt and you have no assurance and you're hoping and you're wondering, I just hope God will save me. I wonder if God will save me. So John says, no, I'm writing you because I want you to know your sins are forgiven. There's no reason for you to be uncertain. There's no reason for you to be uncertain that your sins are forgiven. The only reason you might have doubt is because you're relying on you and what you're doing, and you're not relying on what Jesus did at the cross. Because if we rely on what Jesus did at the cross, we know without a doubt that our sins are forgiven. So knowing that your sins are forgiven 
is crucial to your Christian walk. Whether you're 15 or 50 or 80, I want to remind you, your sins are forgiven. John goes on. He says the second thing a Christian should know is that we are victorious. He mentions that two times. Because you have overcome the evil one. He doesn't say because you're going to overcome the evil one. He says you have overcome the evil one. Kind of reminds me of Joshua chapter 1. Before we even enter the promised land, God tells Joshua to tell the people, everywhere you set your foot, I've already given you the land. You're already victorious. And so when we become Christians, the first thing we need to know, we're victorious. All right? We are victorious. So... When we become a Christian, sin no longer has power over us. Maybe that's why Paul writes in Romans 6, Sin shall not be your master. You've been set free from sin. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Count yourselves dead to sin. You used to be slaves to sin. Because as Christians, we are now victorious. Before you become a Christian, there's no way for you to be victorious over sin. You don't have the power to overcome sin. But when we become Christians, we become victorious. So anytime we're confronted by Satan, all we have to know and remind ourselves is he's already been defeated. Christ already defeated Satan. That's why we sing the song, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not our battle. Jesus already fought that battle and he won. He was victorious. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6 and verse 10 that we're to be strong, not in and of ourselves. We're to be strong in the Lord because he's fighting the battle. Folks, you need to know you don't have to live a defeated life. John says you need to know you can live a victorious life. You know, you can tell by looking at someone whether they're living a defeated life or a victorious life. And John says as you look at Christians and as they mature and as they grow, you ought to see that they're overcoming sin and they're having more and more victories because we're called to live a victorious life. John goes on and gives us another reason. He says you've known the Father. I want to remind you that you know God. So he says... You've known Him who's from the beginning. You've known the Father. And when you know God, it's not a burden to follow God. When you know God, it's not a burden to keep His commandments. To know God is to know Jesus. To know God is to know peace. To know God is to know His blessings. And to know God is to know assurance, which is why John's writing. He goes on. I'm writing you because you're strong. He says... He wants us to know that the passage we just looked at, the reason that we're able to love our brothers and the reason we're able to not love the world is because we've been given strength. We've been strengthened to do that. So the psalmist writes, my help comes from the Lord. Paul writes in Ephesians, again, be strong in the Lord and in his might. He writes in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Our strength doesn't come from what we have to offer. Our strength comes from the Lord. We're able to live the Christian life because of the Lord's strength. So if you feel the demands of the Christian life are too high or too strong or too great or impossible, John says, you don't realize God gives us the strength to live the Christian life. And that's why he writes. He goes on to say, I'm writing because the word of God lives in you. The word of God gives life. The word of God brings life. The word of God nourishes life. That's why we need to be in the Word. And that's why John reminds us that the Word needs to live in us. Again, Paul writes, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He writes in Colossians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if the Word of God dwells in you and lives in you, you'll have assurance. 
of your salvation. I like the way Spurgeon said it. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. You need to let the Word of God live in you. You remember when Jesus was tempted after he was baptized? He goes out in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan comes and tempts him. You know what Jesus did every time? You know how he responded every time? He quoted Scripture every time. Bam, 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 he quoted Scripture. Maybe that's why the psalmist writes, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So John says, the word of God lives in you. John says, I'm writing you these things. I'm reminding you, almost as if to say, look, here's your resources. Okay, I'm, I'm listing your resources. Here's what you have. Here's how you're able to love the brothers. Here's how you're able to not love the world. He just gives us one command. Do not love the world or anything in the world. He's not asking the impossible. He's not setting the bar too high. You might be thinking, there's no way I can do that. He's just listed the resources we have to do that. And he says, look, I, I don't want you to love the world or anything in the world. So here's some things I want you to do. Love the brothers. Here's what I want you to avoid. Loving the world. Now, what does he mean by the world? How do you find worldliness? Well, it's interesting because a lot of times we want to define worldliness in our own terms. And so I grew up in a church that defined the world in worldliness by making a bunch of legalistic lists. And so anytime you hear something on that list, you think, well, that's worldliness. So maybe you grew up hearing some of these lists, you know, don't smoke, don't, smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. Seeing if you're listening. No mixed swimming, don't dance, no prom, no playing cards, no going to the movies, no chips, no dominoes. Maybe you grew up with some of those lists. A lot of things have changed, but to some people that's worldliness. That's not how John is defining worldliness. You can make up whatever list you want, but I'm just telling you that's not what John's talking about when he says the world. And when he says the world, he's not thinking of creation. So he's not talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and all those things. We're supposed to be good stewards of the world. Well, Richie, what is John talking about here? When he says the world, he's talking about the organization that exists. He's talking about the humanistic system that is under Satan's control, which is why in chapter 5, verse 19, he writes, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's the world he's talking about, the world that is in Satan's control. He's talking about the person who ignores God. He's talking about the life that, that, that is lived that despises God. John says a clear choice has to be made. Either you love God and hate the world, or you love the world and hate God. They are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. Jesus told us you can't do both. Many Christians, though, try to follow God while embracing the very system that despises and opposes God. John says you can't do that. Don't love the world or anything of the world, in the world. We can use the things of the world, but we can't abuse the things of the world. In other words, we can't abuse them in the sense that they take God's place with our affections and our passions. So worldliness can be the right thing in the wrong place. For example, if you love your job more than you love God, that's worldliness. If you love your hobby and have more passion for your hobby than you do God, that's worldliness. Jesus said, 
You can even love your family more than you love God. That's worldliness. So that's why we sing the song. God, we place you, God, on the highest place. If you place anything else, your job, your family, your mate, your kids on the highest place, John says that's worldliness. Don't love the world or anything in the world. John wants us to know that the world has three things to offer. So he says, all that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. So let's look at those just for a minute. The cravings of sinful man, your translation may say, and the word is lust. Yours may say lust of the flesh. Okay? Lust means instead of controlling our desires and using them as we ought, we're controlled by our desires. And they master us and they control us. There are certain desires that are right and given to us by God. But if those desires control you, then they're wrong. Because that's not how God wanted us to use those. Maybe that's why Paul writes in Romans 8, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if you're a Christian, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So again, your translation may say lust of the flesh. So he's talking about physical bodies. So... Obviously, God's given us some things that are right. But if you're controlled by food or drink, that's wrong. If you're controlled by sex, that's wrong. Okay? Those are right things given to us by God. But if we use them in the wrong way and we're controlled by them, John says, no, that's cravings and desires that you should have in a different way. He mentions lust of the eyes. You know, Jesus says... The eye is the lamp of the body. So it's through the eyes that sin often arises. So if the eyes are good in a moral sense, then the body and the spirit are good. If the eyes are bad in a moral sense, then the body is tainted by sin. So he's talking about things that the eyes are attracted to, and it works both ways. So it includes being controlled by what we want others to see, the eyes in us. So if you're more interested in your jewelry and your clothing and your appearance and your home and your cars and you want everybody to see your stuff, you're being controlled by lust of the eyes. It also includes being controlled by what our eyes see. So if you're controlled and your desires and your lust for people or things, if you're being controlled by that, that's what he's talking about. Maybe that's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in talking about lust, if you look after someone lustfully, you've committed adultery, even though there's never been any physical contact. If you've lusted in your eyes, and so Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out. Because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Okay, lust of the eyes. Don't be controlled by your eyes. That's what he's talking about. He mentions boasting of what he has and does, the person who does that. So he's talking about self-glorification. When we become ambitious to promote our own glory, bragging about who we are or what we're doing, bragging about our education or where we attended, bragging about our brain, boasting about our brain and our knowledge and our understanding. It's striving for worldly honors and recognition. It's those who boast of themselves, what they've done, where they've been, what they're doing and all of their accomplishments. That's what he's talking about here. So it brings to mind what Paul says in Philippians 3 when he he said, if anybody wants to boast, Paul says, let let me enter that contest. 
here's all the things I've done. And you know what Paul says? I count those as rubbish. I count those as dung compared to knowing Jesus. They're not important. So why boast in those things? Paul says, if you're going to boast, you boast in the Lord and what the Lord has done. And so in John's mind, believers should have nothing to do with these worldly values and these worldly characteristics and things. He wants us to reject the world and cling to God. John says you cannot love these things of the world and love God at the same time. So why do we keep trying? He says you can't do that. Our scripture reading today, James says, if we're friends with the world, we're enemies with God. You adulterous people, we've broken fellowship with God. That fellowship we talked about in chapter 1, you break fellowship with God when you become friends with the world. You can't do that. He says, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You know, when you do the will of God, you have assurance. You know, when I was growing up, any time I did what my mom and dad asked me to do, I never had any doubts about how they would respond to me. It's when I didn't do what I was supposed to do or I knew I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. That's when I had doubts about how are they going to respond to me. And when we're not doing the will of God, we're thinking, how's God going to respond to me? And we have doubts and we have no assurance. John says, the man who does the will of God, no doubts. Full assurance. Live forever. Wow. John says anyone who claims to be a Christian cannot claim the things of the world. We can't do that. Jesus would say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So here's our dilemma. How do we live in the world without the world living in us? John says it's real simple. Just don't love the world. Don't love anything in the world. So you need to be thinking Do I love my stuff more than Jesus? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The the more we fill our lives with the love of God and love for God, the less love we'll have for this world. I like the translation from the message here in chapter 2, verse 15. The love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father. Same translation, the message in Romans 12. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. You being squeezed today, loving the world today, loving the things of the world, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Brought an illustration this morning. Many years ago, the government had an idea to make a, make a dollar in the form of a coin. So they made the Susan B. Anthony. Remember the Susan B. Anthony? Maybe you saved some of those. They make dollar coins now mainly as collectors. But when they came out with the Susan Anthony, it failed. Do you know why it failed? Because it looked too much like the quarter. It had value. It's worth a dollar, still is. But it looked too much like a quarter. That's really what John's saying here. Christians have value. But if we look too much like the world, we're going to fail. We have value. But when we look like the world and we crave the world and we crave the things of the world... We've got misplaced values. So John says a clear choice must be made. Don't look like the world. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. So John says, hey, you're going to live forever. You do know that. You're going to live forever somewhere. Stop acting like you're going to live in this world forever. This world is not my home. Stop acting like we're citizens of this world. Which is why Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. 
We don't belong here. We don't need to have roots here. We don't need to build here. Okay, this world is not my home. Now, let me say this. It's okay to want things of the world. As long as you don't want the things of the world more than you want God. That's the misplaced values and that's the misplaced affection. John wants us to have our hearts so full of God there's not room for anything else. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So what do we do? Well, we grow in our love towards God. We grow in our love towards Jesus. We have more love for Him each and every day. So ask yourself some questions as we close. What is God's main competition for my affection today? What's God's main competition for my affection? Question number two. What in your life is getting in the way of you loving God more? Job? Family? Friends? Leisure? Fun? Hobbies? What's getting in the way of you loving God more? What desires or cravings do you need to put to death today? You get to decide. We don't, I'm not going to raise any hands. It's between you and God. What's between you and God? Is there anything between you and God today? Something that's keeping you from loving God more and more? John said, Here, here's what I want. I want you to love your brother. I, I don't want you to love the world, which means I want you to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can you do that today? If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, please do so as we stand and sing. My-